Welcome into another episode of At The Rink. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. Sean, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? I'm doing great. The sun's finally coming out a little bit. I know we can't do much outside, but it's nice to at least get out a little bit, maybe run around the yard, shoot some pucks, uh, whatever might float your boat. But uh, hopefully the weather's getting nicer as we move along here in our in our isolation. Yeah, I'm kind of getting used to this new normalcy here. You know, I, it's uh, and that's a good thing. You know, I don't love it, but at least you know, new normal is becoming normal for right now, at least. Yeah, hopefully uh, not for too much longer. Yeah. Um, you know, you do what you do, right? You got to get through it. Life goes on and, and you try and make the best out of it. So and that's what we're trying to do with these podcasts. And, and I think we have a good one today. We definitely do. We had a long conversation that we'll play for you shortly with Colby Armstrong, former NHL player, lives in Pittsburgh, played with the Penguins and the Canadians and the Thrashers. A lot of interesting stories, a lot of interesting ideas coming out of this conversation with Colby Armstrong. And Sean, I bet you agree with me. The stuff with Sidney Crosby might have been at the top of the list. Any stories about having a midnight meal in a hotel uh, bathroom, you got (laughs) to stay and listen to that. And that's all I'm going to give away here. Oh, no. Yeah, you can't give it all away, but that is in the interview with Colby Armstrong. But before we get to that, we are doing – we're continuing the Super 16 on NHL.com. Normally, it is with the teams, our power rankings throughout the course of the season. They run every week. Uh, I am the one tasked with putting it together and writing up the hits and misses for each team. But we have no season going on right now, but we wanted to continue the Super 16, so we're going a little historical look. And this week, we ran Super 16, the best 16 centers in the National Hockey League from 1967 to present day. So expansion era, we had 14 voters. Not surprising, Sean. Wayne Gretzky was unanimous at number one. Mario Lemieux, not surprising, number two. And he would have been a unanimous number two had it not been for Bill Douglas, our colleague with NHL.com, giving the nod to Mark Messier. Sean, where did you have Mark Messier? I like you how recall? you did that. I like you like you that. that. You like yeah. that, huh? How you, how you set it all up to make I set it all up to even, rip you. <laughs> look even more out of the box, which it is. <laughs> I had him at number 13. Um I'm going to take some stick for that. I'm fully willing to. Um, You know, as I look at it and then I see what everybody else did, um, A, first of all, I'm often different from my colleagues, so I have no issues with that. And then the other thing for me, and and it's hard because you're judging players across generations and and across different variations of, of what the NHL was, and 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 how it was played, right? High scoring errors, dead puck errors, uh, present day better goaltending versus you know stand up goalies. So you know, and it's going to get more difficult next week. We're doing the goaltenders. I think that's even more difficult because of the demarcation lines. But one of the things that I really put a lot of value on when I made my list were points per game because that's something where you know somebody can have a lot of points, but they played a lot of games and and. That's the one thing with Mark Messier is, you know, he had a ton of points, but he also had the most games out of anybody on the list. Um, his his points per game was a little over one. I think it was 1.03 or something like that. And some of the players who I had ahead of him are at a much greater rate than that. Um, you know, and, and then the other thing for me, like I had Forsberg at four. He, other than the, the top three guys we all talk about, Gretzky, Lemieux, and Crosby, I think he's the most talented center I've ever seen play, right? Injuries took a lot out of him late in his career, but when he was at the prime of his career, again, knocked those three guys out of the equation that we're all agreeing on, you know, he was the most dangerous center I've seen play in my lifetime, I think. You know, and, and it's interesting – how you think of it versus how I think of it, right? And that, I think, is what makes the Super 16 what it is, even when we do it during the regular season, is each person has their own sort of unique perspective on how they want to see it. Uh, With the regular season, it's an easy comparable. It's the season, it's teams, they play against each other. You can kind of go off of it that way. But with this, it's obviously different, whereas you looked at points per game. I did look at points per game. 
But I also took, I, I think I put a greater emphasis on Stanley Cup championships and how a player drove his team to those Stanley Cup championships. That's why I had Sidney Crosby at three, right behind Mario Lemieux. Messier was my fourth. Crosby, to me, has been the driving factor for the Penguins, whereas Messier was a driving factor. But obviously, in the years that Gretzky was there, you have to say Gretzky was the biggest driving factor of it all. I had Esposito at five. I had Eiserman at six. Uh, one that you didn't have on your list, and now I kind of see why. I had Brian Trottier at eight. You didn't have Brian Trottier on your list, but if you look at points per game, he doesn't rank with some of the other guys I guess you're talking about. No, and and look, Brian Trottier was one of the more difficult ones for me because of the amount of dominance he had. Again, you're talking a lot about injuries and, and curtailing careers. You know, for a for a period of time, Brian Trottier was one of the most dominant players in the in the NHL um you know and and I just as I made that list I started moving people up and down and you know moving them around like you get to the numbers and you put them all in order and then you're like okay the numbers say this but my eye says this right you know again I have Eric Lindros at 10 and you know my eyes tell me something different than the numbers tell me and and so many guys on this list either that made it or didn't make it injuries played such a big part of of who they are and where they are Right. And so, um, you know, but I, I longevity has to play into it a little bit, I think. And I, I look, I think centers more than anything, it's scoring and assists and it's making those around you better. And that to me was a lot of where where my list came from. And, and the other part of my list, there's two guys on that, three guys on that list that some other people didn't have. And it's Datiuk, it's Jacques Lemaire and it's Patrice Bergeron. And those are three two-way centers that are just unbelievable, right? So even with some of these offensive guys, Crosby's another example. Some of these really offensive guys, Iserman, they were really good in their own end. And I think that has to count for something because the game's played across 200 feet. Look, I had Bergeron in at 16 just like you. I had Jonathan Taves in at 15. And that was the tough one for me because I was also looking like you had Jacques Lemaire. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy, how do I not have Jacques Lemaire, but I have Jonathan Taves? And maybe – and I, I'll be honest with you. It's probably a recency bias, right? I mean, I've seen Jonathan Taves play. I know his entire career. Can't say that for Jacques Lemaire. So you get that also. And a recency bias does have to play into it. Anyway, that's our Super 16 for this week. Goalies are next week. And you're right, Sean, 100%. I thought goalies were harder. We've already done that one, and it'll run next week. But I definitely thought goalies were harder. Then they are like uh, Kevin Woodley, who does our our uh, unmasked column every week. One of the brightest goalie minds that I know. He's doing a two piece series that ended up this week on Friday on the evolution of goalie equipment and how it's changed. And again, it comes down to you know since we've been in the pause, we've watched so many old games, right? And you, and you go back and you watch you know even the games in the '90s, but before that into the '80s. You know, the equipment was so different. I grew up as a goaltender and I had the pads with the dare hair and the leather and, and they would soak up water and you couldn't slide on them and you flopped around on the ground and you couldn't get back up. All those things. None of those <laughs> exist anymore because of the way that the pads have changed. And that all came out of the butterfly style. And, and so there's a real line of demarcation you know, of those pre-butterfly goalies and the butterfly goalies, and then the wide open era, and then the more dead puck era, the Tim Thomas era. So I don't want to give away too much of what's going to be next week. But to me, that one is so hard because you, you judge on wins, right? You can't even, as one thing, you can't judge on, on save percentage or goals against, like all those have to factor into it. But, um, you know, they're all going to get hard. And then when we get into the defenseman, I, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Let's be honest, though. I mean, regardless of the pads, you'd be flopping around anyway, right? Oh, my God. I could barely stand up. That's why I was a goalie. There you go. All right. As long as we get that out there. Uh, let's get to the interview. We teased it. So we got Colby Armstrong. We chatted with him for a long time. We touched on a number of different topics, including a midnight meal in the bathroom with Sidney Crosby. So you have to listen all the way through for that. Here's that interview with Colby Armstrong. Colby, how are you, man? Thank you so much for joining us. What's keeping you busy these days? <laughs> is that trick? It's a, it's a loaded question now, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like that's a trick question, kind of, but uh, um, not much, not much, to be honest with you. Um, you know, besides the, uh, you know, the one time I 
major adrenaline rush and went to the grocery store on a solo mission to get groceries for everyone. That was pretty electric. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I don't know. It's just so eerie to go out and see how cautious everyone is. And um, I don't know. It was it, it, like my adrenaline was literally pumping. So that was the most exciting, I guess, thing, scary thing that I've done here in the last month. But other than that, uh, at home with the wife and four kids, a boy and uh, three girls, and we are trying to stay busy and try to stay out of each other's hair all at the same time. It seems like uh, the fear factor from going to the grocery store would be like going into the corner with Eric Lindros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least, no, you know what? I'd rather go to the corner with Eric Lindros. At least you know what to expect. Like, I don't know. Like, the grocery, I put on gloves, a mask, you're touching the cart, there's people that are, you know, you're going by everyone, everyone's kind of scared of everybody. It's just so eerie and just a crazy feeling. So I don't know. People are touching everything. I don't know what the heck was going on, but uh, I, I honestly, I came back like my, it was like I finished a hockey game. I was like, I couldn't relax. I was like so amped up. It was, it was a crazy feeling just to do one simple thing that we used to take for granted. It's like, like nothing, right? Like I used to be like, hey, I go to the grocery store just to get out of the house. Now it's like, holy smokes, what a time we're living in right now. Scary, right? A friend of mine said to me, he goes, I got to go put on my space suit and go to the grocery store. <laughs> what are you feeling? Like, if you were a player right now, if you were playing in the league right now, and you're just stopped, everything you're doing and you know what I to know. do is completely stopped, how would you be feeling? What would your emotions be like if you were still playing right now? Oh, I couldn't imagine. Like, that's the first thing. I remember I was talking to Phil Bork the other day, um, radio play-by-play for years here, the old 2-9er for the Penguins here in Pittsburgh. and we're catching up a little bit on, on texting and you know, that's the one thing that we asked each other as well. I guess it's thinking the same way. I couldn't imagine in the, you know, the most exciting part of the year and the race is on and teams are in the hunt and teams are just out of it, trying to fight their way back in. Everything's on the line. GMs are in, you know, rumors of getting fired if they don't get in. And it's just, it's just the best time, right? It's, it's, it's the lead up to playoffs and, and positioning, and then right away, you're just literally locked in your house. And I, I don't know what I would be thinking other than how can I how can I come back and play after this? And how long is this going to last before we can come back? Like, like guys, we're seeing we're seeing guys doing videos of doing squats with their dogs. On, on, uh, <laughs> like, this is what they're doing. Like, nobody's skating. Like, what? How, how, like, the first thing I, as a player, I would think of is how am I going to come back? And they're talking about us going to playoffs or starting playoffs right away. Like, how are we going to come back and just jump into it um, after, you know, squatting our dogs for, you know, two months? How big is the skating thing, right? Like, that's something – and it used to be in, in the old days, guys would shut it down, they'd finish, and they'd shut it down, and they'd show up at camp, and that's when they would get in shape. But that doesn't happen anymore. Like, a, a lot of elite players say they maybe take two weeks off of all, all skates all year. Like, they may not skate every day, but they're skating throughout the summer, and to go – a month and a half, two months at the minimum without skating. What's that going to be like for players? Well, I, I think, I think as a player, <clears throat> just from my experience, excuse me, like one day off is, you know, you're rusty a little bit at practice when you come back from that, that day off. Two days off is like, you might as well have a week off the way you feel when you come back. Now we're talking these guys coming back from doing nothing. Like I texted Crosby the other day. He was kind of confused by what I meant. I texted him. I said, buddy, better start rollerblading. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like what do you mean i'm like well, how long are you gonna wait before you're gonna be able to skate again and get back going so you know i i think you know the skating element of it is huge you can stick handle in your in your driveway in your garage and you know and go real old school and you know work on your hands and you know stay as sharp as as you possibly can but the timing um and then skating shape is a whole nother thing so uh, you know we we look at all-star breaks we look at uh bye weeks you look at, uh, you know, the holiday break, Christmas break, and, and, you know, the rusty hockey that comes after that. So we'll times it by 10. It's funny, Colby, that you bring up the rollerblading with Crosby because I'm actually in the process right now of trying to work on a story on can rollerblading help at all at a time like this? Can it be a benefit? Can it mimic at all what you do on the ice? And, you know, I'm talking to a few people about it, and it's, yeah, I guess the stride can. What do you think? Like, can just getting out and rollerblading recreationally, can it help or hurt you? Uh, can it do anything bad for your for your ice skating when you get back on the ice? Yeah, well, I don't think it's 
it's it's not the same. Like I think if you saw like professional inline hockey players, um, skating ability comparatively to like real ice hockey, it's it's quite a bit different. Like I think you'd probably be able to tell a, like an inline skater stride comparatively to a hockey player stride if they're both on the on the ice. I think it's just a little bit of of a different feel. But at the same time, I think it I think it gives you kind of that muscle memory feeling if you go for a good long skate. Like I went out and skated my golf course all 18 holes here in Pennsylvania and you know how it is here in Pennsylvania uh, with all the hills and ups and downs. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, it was stupid partly because I could have died going down some of these inclines. I was going down, <laughs> but I mean, skating up them, skating up them was awesome. And it was a great workout. And I saw Matthias Ekholm post a video of him skating, pushing his kids in the stroller down the street. And, um, I think it's a good option for guys to probably think about that. If you, you know, people are getting exercise going out for runs and, I think it's a good option to kind of mimic skating uh, to a degree and kind of mimic that muscle memory that your body needs. And, and, and also just kind of, you know, being in skating shape, like skating shape is totally different than running on a, on a track or a football field and um, gives them an opportunity to switch it up. I think, especially when you, when you have to kind of wing it right now. Colby, I hope the golf course wasn't the one near the old practice rink in Pittsburgh before they moved to Cranberry. <laughs> There's some serious hills there, man. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that that's uh, South Point uh, Rink. We we live actually kind of near there, but no, it's a golf course here. It's a really nice one here in Pittsburgh called Nevillewood. Um, I know a bunch of guys, and, uh, local athletes. I see them. I live right on the uh, right on one of the tee boxes. So unfortunately for them, they get to see me and my kids out in the backyard most mornings. They're in their diaper. I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> like it looks absolutely insane. But you know, we've had. Vincent Trocek, who lives up in this area, come by. JT Miller is golfing with him. Uh, see Mario Lemieux and a few of his buddies every once in a while as well. So it's it's, it's a nice course. They got some real nice courses around here. I think there's lots of people as the weather gets starts to get warmed up. Uh, wondering when some of these golf courses will eventually be uh, able to get out on there as well. You just brought up a bunch of different players. I mean, you so you you talk to a lot of guys. What are they telling you? What are, what are you hearing from your friends who are still playing in the league about? what they think of, you know, if and when it gets to start back up, what ideas are you hearing? What ideas do you have? Play commissioner here. Yeah, well, I I think you have to do, for me personally, I think you have to do like a condensed kind of schedule. Um, like I know what's on the line with, you know, budding into next year's season and how important it is to get all, all 82 games in next year. And I think that's important, right? Like I do. And, you know, and, and then in the business side, like escrow and how much money is, you know, is yeah. going to be what that's, what's that going to be like, like that's scary too. Right. So I think there's lots on the table, but I think you have to do, you know, best of five series. And, and if they want to handle the cup, they're going to have to really jam it in and, and get creative. And, you know, the way I'm thinking of it in my head is, you know, say they have a hundred options on the table, which they probably have a hundred and, you know, plus options of what they could do. Uh, and what's going to happen and ideas that they have. And I, I kind of feel like probably every day that ticks by, I mean, probably two options fly off the table with the time frame. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, everyone wants to see the cup handed out. Um, you know, it's the best time of the year. And if they can get it in, I think they're going to have to do some kind of condensed situation uh, for teams. And obviously some teams aren't going to be happy, but with the way that, you know, that they didn't have a chance to battle their way in or, whatever they come up there, but um, they're going to have to condense it to get, to get it all in. And talking to the guys, like, I think the, the weirdest thing for everyone is like, no one really has, you know, a clue. I think there's no, no real, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel right now, just like everybody dealing with it. Who's, you know, stuck at home. Uh, so I, I think they're kind of just waiting to hear. And, you know, you go from a hundred miles an hour to hitting the brakes and sitting at home with guys. It's um uh, quite a different feeling uh, with the uh, with the unknown and still you know being told you know you you got to stay in shape you got to work out like you, you know for what when where's the where's the light at the end of this tunnel what's going to happen where when does it end so it's kind of an unnerving uneasy feeling I think, for everyone i mean elite athletes are so used to routine and, and knowing what's next right i mean you talk to players yeah. when they retire and i'm sure you went through this one of the most difficult things is going from that regimented every day i have to be to the gym at 10 we have our meal at this time we're on the bus at this time whatever it is and i have this day off and i got to get all my stuff done and then we go right back into it to basically having no routine at all well that's why i'm fat right now 
<laughs> I'm blaming it on that because yeah, they don't have anyone telling me what to do and when to do it anymore. So um yeah, I, I'm sure they're they're you know getting you know updates with daily workouts on what they're supposed to do from team uh, you know therapists and um trainers and strength coaches. Uh, I'm sure it's ongoing. I'm sure they're having to send stuff in like crazy all the time and updates on you know how they're staying on top of their you know their uh you know, the physical aspects that they're, you know, probably told to. It's probably, it's probably like the summer workouts. They just went from quitting and, and quit playing. And now they're into like midsummer workouts where they have to maintain a certain aspect. And, you know, so I'm sure there's guys still on top of them, but, um, you know, I kind of wish, don't we all, right guys? Don't we wish we all had something like that in our lives where there was yeah. some kind of uh, accountability or, you know, I got a Peloton bike here that I stare at like three times a day and I think I'm going to get on it and I just keep watching TV <laughs> and laying on the couch. I'm going to give you a little bit of a buy though. Cause you got little kids, man. And that's a bigger workout than you think oh. chasing them around <laughs> or, yeah, or getting difficult. away from them. You know what, you know, what's crazy. We had three days of nice weather, which I think everyone would agree. As soon as the sun comes out as a game changer, um, physically and mentally, just to get outside and 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 run around the yard and have the kids with their bikes out on the driveway like that. We've had a few days that were like legit game changers so far through this month. Uh, but it snowed last night here in Pittsburgh. It snowed. It's all yeah. melted now. But like we had a complete drop in temperature and it snowed. Like what's going on right now? But uh, if we can get some sunny days and things start to change with the weather a little bit, and you can rope some some days of, of nice weather, it's it's it's. I think. Yeah, physically one, but I think mentally for everybody just to, you know, have a t-shirt on, get outside with the shorts out in the backyard or out on the driveway. And, you know, there's more people out walking around. You can actually see some humans. Uh, it's it's better for everyone. So that's, yeah, that's my workout. Setting up bounce, a bounce house in the backyard and taking it down two times a day. That, that was, that's been real fun. Well, the two of us, by the way, have had no accountability our entire lives. At least you had it for <laughs> for a little while in your hockey career. I mean, this is why yeah. we look the way we do, you know? <laughs> There's no accountability uh, at all battle. here. The other thing to consider here, Colby, too, is, I mean, we have this season and we have next season, but there's – how many guys are going to be free agents? And what about July oh, 1st, know. right? What happens if this goes into August? Could it, Does July 1st become September 1st? Does it come October 1st? You know, what do you think about all that? I mean, any ideas there? Well, I, I don't, that's the one thing. Like, I don't know what's going to happen on even like the trade deadline that just went by. And you have all these picks. And, you know, if you make the playoffs, it becomes a third. If you don't, it becomes a second. Like, where does everything go from, from here on out on, on just – you know, the business that is the NHL when it comes to, um, you know, trades and, and where everything sits, you draft pick, where are you drafting coming? Like how, how are they going to, you know, play making playoffs is one thing right now where we're at and questioning whether we're going to get the season in and then just the snowball effect moving forward, you know, to all the different, you know, NHL, I guess, events you could call it. And, and then those little events inside trades and, and how those things shake, you know, shake down and, and how they're going to, you know, decide some of, some of the operations of how things should unfold is, is wild to me. I, have, I literally have no thoughts on, on how they're going to accomplish it or if everything just stays as is, um, you know, moving forward, you know, like we know some teams have played 70 some games and some teams of, you know, 69 games or something. So, you know, do they do they roll back games so that everyone's played the same amount of games? And how does that, you know, I, I like I don't know that I don't know how they're going to figure everything out moving forward. It's I mean it's just crazy the snowball effect that will happen. You know, in the sports world with some of these things. I hey, other aside, like how about how about Dana White? Like the the <laughs> the beauty who's trying to rent an island to get UFC off the ground. Like you got to respect the fight for, for mankind to give us some kind of sports action on TV. I love it. Well, they had to, they had to tell him to stop. He was going to do it. And the, <laughs> the networks were like, give up the ghost, man. We're not going to broadcast yeah. it. It'd be irresponsible. What heart though. What heart to give it to the people, right? Like God, we'd be dying for something to watch right now. Instead we're watching throwback games from the eighties and nineties. Do you watch the classic games? Have you taken time out of your day to watch some of these games? I watched a few. I watched a game. Uh, it was on NHL Network. It was uh, it was a couple weeks ago, actually. And I think it was it was uh, Calgary, uh, Montreal, Stanley Cup final. 
like I think it was '93. Was that when Montreal won the cup? I think uh, I, I maybe maybe mistaken '89. I was watching one of those games and I was just like, it was crazy. Like some like Claude Lemieux completely took out the goalie. They counted it as a goal. Like I was like, oh, my. oh the uproar, <laughs> the uproar in today's game would have been astronomical if that happened. But uh, it's just it's it's kind of cool looking back and you know that that's you know 90s early 90s late 80s i was born in 82 so that was me sitting on the couch with my dad um watching all those games and watching the playoff series and you know those were my heroes when i was a kid it's really cool to watch again would you like to play in that era i don't know i probably i probably would have made it i was so skinny and it was just such a different game it was it's crazy you know like the era that i i was i was thankful that i came in, in like in the early 2000s Cause I kind of got like a little bit of the old school, like a little bit like same kind of guys that we watch in those. Like I played with Mark Recchi, John LeClaire, Lyle Odeline. Um, you know, I, I played against like Eric Lindros and, you know, you go through the list of the guys of, the, of that era. And, um, you know, to kind of, I, I'm in playing Pittsburgh and playing against Hatcher in Philly all the time. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like he was uh cross checking, hooking, punching, <laughs> you know, it was, it was nuts. So, uh, I kind of got a little bit of the old school and then it kind of switched and transferred over um, later to what we see now into the game getting, you know, so much fa- faster. The one thing I do notice about the old hockey comparatively to now is so much more passing. So many more like little plays instead of like the straight outright like north-south speed game where we see more of, you know, calculated, take a hit to make a play, cl- guys close to them you know, those little bump passes to each other. And you kind of see that a little bit more in the old game. You played, and you're still close, you already brought him up with us here, with Sidney Crosby. And I got to ask you, what's your best Sid story that we haven't heard? And it can be one where oh. he would get angry for you telling it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he gave permission. Oh, to he gave permission yeah. through us, even though he didn't. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I haven't told about him already. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can rehash man. one that you've told. It's all right. I mean, we'll, we'll, well take okay, it. Okay, one funny one with Sid. Like he, it was, it was really cool rooming with him for one for the amount of years uh, that I was here in Pittsburgh and um, kind of seeing the behind the scenes circus that is Sidney Crosby and you know the you know especially when we we went out to Western Canada for the first time it was really wild and you know you go to Edmonton and Calgary and of course during his his draft year he didn't go to the prospects game. I think it was in Vancouver and it was like Sid versus uh, Brule. And, you know, there was that, there was that big, big thing where Brule mm-hmm. said he doesn't want to come out here and face me. And remember all that stuff. So it was kind of, his, his, <laughs> it was his first uh, trip out West. So I got to see and, and, and experience all that stuff. But one time um, we were in Toronto of all places and me and a few of the guys, we, we landed, we didn't play the next day. We played, you know, two days later. So we were in town. We had like a little off day the next day practice, whatever. Um, and we went out, we went out and probably weren't supposed to, and kind of stuck back into the hotel and we made a pit stop at McDonald's. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I come back to the room with my bag of McDonald's and he's sleeping, of course. So I, I'm like a nice guy, right? Really respectful. I sneak quickly into the bathroom and turn on the light and I'm sitting on the edge of the pub and I'm setting up my McDonald's. I'm going to crush my McDonald's in the bathroom. <laughs> And then, <laughs> all of a sudden, like the door cracks open, and, and Sid's little head pokes in there. He goes, "Hey, did you get anything for me?" <laughs> <laughs> of course, I bought way too much. Like I always get the Big Mac meal, and I bought a couple extra cheeseburgers. So we had a little McDonald's snack at like you know midnight, one in the morning, in the hotel bathroom. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So that's when he used to eat McDonald's. I guess I probably I I, I assume he probably doesn't anymore since he got rid of me as his roommate. But uh, there's not too many stories about him, honestly. He's one of the most dedicated, uh, dialed-in, professional, uh, understanding guys. Um, and it, it's been kind of cool moving back here and knowing him when he was 18, 19, 20 years old and obviously staying in touch with him, but knowing him fairly well day-to-day at the rink and everything. And um, now being back here, and the first year we moved back here, the Pens won back-to-back, so we got to experience that. And, you know, have hot stoves with him after games and talk to him about certain things like when we used to play together and, um, you know, briefly break games down a little bit. It's kind of nice, like, picking his brain still or, uh, you know, having that kind of connection to, to talk to him about hockey like that. So it's been interesting. And now in his old age, <laughs> um, 
you know, just how understanding is of everybody's role in the team and each guy individually, what they bring and, um, you know, how he can, you know, kind of switch his game up, um, you know, to play with any player. Because, you know, watching him here, I mean, you go through the list of guys that, that he's played with, you know, over the years, he's incredible line mates that he's had. And, um, you know, guys that they say probably shouldn't play with him that have obviously success with him because he's really good. But how he can kind of adjust his game, I think he's probably the best in the NHL at adjusting his game to elevate the line and elevate other players. Look, since he's been in the league, he's been one of the most analyzed guys ever, right? Everybody talks about yeah. him and, and what makes him great. <laughs> and, and most of us that do it, we have a little bit of an idea, but not a great idea. I mean, you've played with him, you've watched him. What's the one thing that everybody misses about him that makes him better or different from every other player? Well, there's like sitting up in the press box and watching him, which I'm sure you guys have a bunch of times, like even as a former player and, and watching and understanding the game and where guys are supposed to be in certain spots, like even sitting up there that blows my mind <clears throat> is he makes plays sitting up there that I should see, you know how it, like you're supposed to see everything from up there that he does stuff that you don't even see from the press box. Mm. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, bird's eye view to have of a guy that blows your mind from the press box, which is, um, you know, fair, really rare in, in hockey to, to have that point of view and still have your mind blown. So, um, you know, and then just talking to other players and, and stuff that you don't notice as well. It's, it's the little, you know, little four inch pass in the corner under pressure with a guy draped on him to a, you know, another guy through three legs that you know it makes he makes it look easy you know you talk to certain players and you know one guy like Matthew Barzell who I got to meet and talk to at the Memorial Cup a few years ago in Windsor now he's you know NHL sensation um big fan of Sidney Crosby loves Crosby studies all the shifts you know just talking to him um you know talk to him after a game that they you know they played here in Pittsburgh and just caught back up with him and you know asked about Sid and he just kind of broke down like all the little things that he was doing like in the corner when he has the puck, what he does with his body, like that stuff, people just, just don't notice that, you know, um, it really works, you know, and, and it's, you know, at another level um, at manipulating the game and, and, and making things happen and, and making things happen out of nothing as well. So, you know, it's that kind of respect I think you see in some of those polls where the players, you know, you know, pick, uh, pick him as the one guy for, you know, one game and, um, it's those kind of things and the, the elite consistent play that he's had through his entire career. I think a lot of people don't notice, but, um, you know, the players play against him do. Colby, one of the players that benefits from Crosby is Jake Gensel, who's been out, obviously, and he could be back if the NHL is able to return. But it's not just him benefiting from Crosby, right? I mean, what makes Jake Gensel the player that he is? Like, I don't know if Jake Gensel gets, like, enough pump in the NHL for what how good he he really is like um to be able to watch him at his at his stature and size I guess there's a lot of you know smaller guys in the game but he he's not a big guy at all he's just so crafty and smart he uses his body really really well um and he quietly just produces like crazy like there's 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 stretches through certain times in the year too where he's you know, you're, you're going, Jake Gensel is the best player on the team right now. Like, that's how good he is. Um, and I think, obviously, playing with Sid, I think they, they have an understanding of how each other plays. Like, Jake really gets give-and-go game. Jake's really good at rolling off bodies down low in traffic for not a big guy. He's, he gets into those areas. He's a super courageous player. And then he has the craftiness and ability to, to make passes and plays. And um, he, sees, he sees those plays kind of like Sid does. And I think that's why they work so well together. Uh, as a duo, but uh, I think, yeah, I just one of the more underrated guys that doesn't get talked about enough for just how truly good he is. And, you know, you could look at the stat sheet and, you know, you could see kind of 40 goal season last year and he had 20 this year and almost 39 games. Look at his stats right now. Um, but uh, a guy that, where's he going to get to really? And what's the ceiling of his game? And, um, you know, just how good this guy really is. I think you have to watch him, um, you know, and that's the thing with, you know, covering the NHL. You don't get to watch him, you know, as closely as, as you'd like every single game, every single guy. Um, and Jake Getzel is one of those guys that I think people need to pay a lot more attention to just how good he really is. We'll throw Sid out of the equation because we've already established how good he is. 
Who's the most talented player you've played with? Good question. Sorry for the pause. I was just, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking even like, I'm thinking like, man, I played with some guys in the minor leagues that were so good, but couldn't make it to the end. Like guys that were like the nicest skater, best shot I'd ever seen. Like this guy was unbelievable and just couldn't crack it like four games in the NHL or five <laughs> games. And that was it. But there's a lot of guys like that. It's crazy to see those guys, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'd say just naturally, yeah, he works super, super hard too, but getting Malkin's one of those guys is just really skilled, like highly skilled bull of a player. I don't think anyone compares the NHL to the kind of game that he brings with, you know, the nastiness and fire. And um, at the same time, that ability to just barrel through guys with the skill too. So him and Kovalchuk, I guess. Kovalchuk, unbelievable what he could do playing with him and getting to see him um, and what he could do when I was with him in Atlanta there. And he was, you know, still a young guy at the time. And, you know, he could, he had that same ability too, right? Like he was, he's, he's a monster of a guy, so thick and big, but he could fly. And, and the hands he had is effortless with a shot, short little stick, massive curve. And he had that great little one-timer back across the seam. And um, man, he was, when he was on, I'm telling you, there's nothing that could stop him just because of, you know, just how big and, and physical he could be and the nastiness that he had. But then you, you mix that with his speed and skill and shot. Um, it was through the roof. So it was it was crazy some some games and some nights, kind of what he was able to do, and you know against against who he was able to do it to, as well, and just you know just the size of him. I think I don't know how big how big Colby was then. I I saw him um, when he was kind of out riding the bike there and hanging out with LA before he ended up getting moved. But he looked like he he had you know leaned down quite a bit, you know, to the like the new style of the NHL guys are a lot lighter now, but. I think back when I played it, you had to be around, you know, 220, 230 and skate like the wind like he did. is is unbelievable. It looks like Kovalchuk even rejuvenated himself this year, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Like, like think about where he's played. He's played in Atlanta, then he went to New Jersey, then he went to L.A. He's been in, like, these kind of, like, sunny markets, like, kind of quiet mm-hmm. markets. And then you go to, like, the hotbed that is – that is Montreal with like the fire and the energy and the expectation. And it's kind of more under the microscope. And I, I think that's the first time, you know, he's, he's been in that situation. And I think just for his personality and the way he plays on the ice, I thought it was going to be an awesome fit for him. And I, I, I talked to him when I saw him, when he was with LA, he came through Pittsburgh um, and he was, he was, you know, excited and energetic about getting to play. He's, he, he wanted to, you know, keep going. And, you know, there's lots of question marks at the time about what was going to happen with him, but to see what he was able to do um, in Montreal and, you know, obviously that fire that he brought and we're able to see him score some big goals and the city kind of go crazy for him uh, to see him smiling and celebrating like he does. It was, it was awesome. It was great for the fans. I know the fans love that there. and They appreciate that. And to see one of those like, you know, electric star players of our game kind of, uh, reborn in Montreal was awesome. If you get a chance to get one of his sticks too, they're awesome for street hockey. Just saying. One of his sticks? <laughs> yeah, it's got, like you know how you, when you were a kid, you just you know step on your stick if it had a plastic blade for street hockey or, or yeah. in the gym. Like you know, if you you're on street hockey or you got your stick over the stove and mom busts you curving your stick, I don't recommend that to any kids listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't even have to do that to his stick. It's awesome. It's got like the greatest like toe hook. It's awesome for street hockey. So you're saying when we come back to playing hockey that maybe his stick should get measured? <laughs> no, I don't know if it's illegal. I don't know if it's illegal, but it's uh, you know all the guys now. The big thing a lot of guys have the toe curves now. I think for you know cupping the puck, handling pucks, picking up passes all that kind of stuff. It seems to be very common to have for guys to have that. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting change. And with guys with their personal skill coaches and stuff in here, you know, Kovalchuk years ago was a guy that already had that uh, And you were able to see the way he's able to cup the puck and skate with it and go through guys. So ahead of the curve, ahead of the curve that way, no pun intended. I got one more for you, Sean. Sean might have a follow-up. I'm not sure. But uh, I wanted to bring it back to present day so we don't know what's going to go on. But, you, I mean, you're in broadcasting now. You're in the media side now. Uh, and you're a fan, a viewer. 
what if we have to play in empty arenas? What would that be like yeah. as a, a broadcaster, b a fan, c a viewer? But most importantly, what's that? What's that like as a player if we have to play in an empty arena? Yeah, it's unprecedented. Really, I, I I'd imagine it would be like exceptionally strange, exceptionally yeah. strange. You know. When I was playing in Atlanta, I remember we didn't get like a lot of fans there. I remember uh, lining up with uh, Dave out of it. <laughs> I remember lining up with someone off of Facebook. He's like, "How do you play here?" Like right up, like shaking his head at me, like because we, you know, we didn't have very many fans. It was right at the opening puck drop, too. I'm like, "Give it time. Let them come into the building." So, but uh, no, it's 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 strange. It's strange when you don't have a crowd and you don't have the fans there. You know, there's that echoey, weird feeling in, you know, those big, big uh, arenas. So um, it's something that I think us as fans could get used to because, you know, we'd love to see hockey back again. I think it's, um, you know, strange at the same t- same time when you, um, you know, you think of what you did in your career and how you kind of dreamed about getting to that level and playing in front of all these people and, you know, kind of the real, the real boost and adrenaline kick you get from you know the fans going wild at certain times of the games and huge swings that um come from that it's it's incredible so um i can see it happening just because of where we're at i would i wouldn't mind it also just because selfishly where we're at as well (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah but at the same time totally totally strange strange situation and i imagine like i put myself in their shoes and imagine going out there and you know, skating around in warm-ups with no fans there, you know, to start a game and coming in and coming back out. It's, you know, you hear every stick tap, you hear, you know, there's not that murmur of excitement and kind of the build-up to the big play and the O's and the O's that kind of give you the juice and give you that feeling. It'd be totally weird. All right, Colby, thank you so much for, for hanging on so long with us, chatting all the way through. We appreciate it and stay safe out there. All right, man. All right, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And, We'll get through this. Hopefully we get through it sooner than later, but uh, we'll get through it. Hope to see you guys at a rink soon. We thank Colby Armstrong for joining us for as long as he did. It was a great interview. Thanks so much to him. And one of the things we want to mention on Colby's behalf, he's teamed up with the Penguins Foundation uh, along with Brian Rust and Troy Palomalu from the Pittsburgh Steelers, formerly from the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, for a thing that they're using hashtag mind hacks and it's videos to help people deal with the stress of these quarantine days, Sean. So it's a really good thing that Colby is involved in. I love the interview uh, that we had with him. A lot of great conversation there. And one of the things that we should talk about, Sean, is how the Swedes now think of Mika Zibanejad. Victor Hedman, Nicholas Backstrom, and Oliver ekman Larson, along with Mika Zibanejad, were on a video conference in Swedish on Thursday Hedman, Backstrom, and Ekman Larson all said that Zabanajad has been the best Swedish player in the NHL this season. I can't disagree with them. I can. I think Victor <laughs> Hedman is being, uh, as many Swedes are, deferential and kind to to other people, and uh, is selling himself a little short. Look, I think I think Meek has been unbelievable. I, I think he's on his way to you know being among the best Swedes and and is in that class now. But I don't know that he's the best. I look, Victor Hedman's playing monster minutes for a team that, despite its struggles early in the year, is going to be a favorite uh, if the playoffs start. Um, you know, candidate to be the Norris Trophy, uh, all those things that go into that. I, and you know, I don't know that Meek is there yet. I don't know that he dominates in the same way that Victor Hedman does. I don't even know that he dominates in the same way that Ilias Pedersen does. So. Um, you know, I might put him third on that ballot right now. I think you're selling Meek a little bit short for the season that he's having. And maybe I have a little bit of, uh, you know, a bias, if you will. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think it's a bias. I just think it's maybe a better perspective because I've seen him play live so much, being at the Garden as often as I've been this season. But the way Mika has controlled games, controlled situations, uh, found ways to get the puck to the net, his body to the net, uh, always seems to be outskating the opposition, winning battles in the corner. I'm not selling Victor Hedman short. I think Victor Hedman has had a terrific year, and he may be the best defenseman in the league this season, and that's including John Carlson and Roman Yossi, who are having great seasons. But Zabanajad's got 75 points in 57 games. He's got 41 goals. 
leads the Swedes in goals, leads the Swedes in points. And I know it's not a fair comparison with points to Victor Hedman, but I think it's the overall complete game that I've seen make as a manager at play this season. That's why I think I can't disagree with Hedman Backstrom and Ekman Larson in this. But it really, to me, that he's even involved in the conversation, Sean, goes so goes back a couple of years now. I did a story on Zabanajad before the 2017-2018 season where his converse, the conversation that we had was about him needing to clear these mental blocks that are always in his way, that he would always find himself playing a safer game when people started to analyze him a little bit more. And, and, it was, and instead of being the aggressive player that he needs to be, and it was a question of whether he was going to be able to take his game to the next level. To me, there's no question anymore. His game is obviously at that next level. But it's he's had a grind away mentally to get to this point. Sure. But you just said one player should be the best at his position and win the Norris Trophy in Hedman. I don't know that I would put Mika in the top five a month forward. So, uh, you know, I'm going to stick with my Hedman thing. But I also wonder... You know, when you're talking about Zabinijad like that, how much of that has to do with the comfort level he has with his coach now and Quinn? Well, I think a lot of it. And also there's a comfort level in knowing that Artemi Panarin's playing on the other line. So it, it helps him in that sense, too. He's not a one-man show out there. How far this guy has come in a couple of years is is really tremendous because when the Rangers got him and when he first started to play with them, you could see the talent and you could see the breakout ability but he would always be holding himself back and he'd be talking to himself uh, a lot. And now that is completely gone. His game is all free and aggressive and he deserves a lot of credit for that too. Oh, he does. And and in no way am I questioning that at all. You asked me if I thought he was the best and I, and I don't, um, but he's, he's going to be in that conversation and he's only going to continue to get better. I mean, I don't think we're talking about a peak yet. I think he's still getting there. So it'll be fun to watch, and it'll be fun to watch some of the younger Swedes that are coming up behind him, whether they can push him and how long some of these elder statesmen can can last in that conversation. All things, you know, that are left to be decided once we start playing hockey again. Yeah, and Mika Zibanejad is only 26 years old, too. So um, there there is more growth to be had in his game, which is terrific. One of the cool stories, Sean, that, that we have on NHL.com right now, our colleague Michael Langer from the Czech Republic talked to Pablo Fransu from the Colorado Avalanche, their goalie. I uh, want to touch on this before we get out of here. He's doing some virtual reality stuff to simulate uh, the mental part of goaltending to simulate mental training. So, uh, you know, the brain training techniques that you can do in virtual reality stuff, he is using that, the quarantine life, so to speak, right now to help him with that kind of stuff, which I find unique. I wouldn't have expected it. I mean, it doesn't, he even says it doesn't mimic, you know, having a catching glove and a blocker on and trying to stop a puck, but that mental techniques that goalies need, that quick thinking, where is it coming from? He is using virtual reality to help him with that right now. Yeah, you know, and I think Colby talked a little bit about this in, in the conversation we had with him. Like, you know, he was talking about guys squatting their dogs and, and all the other kind of crazy things, doing push-ups with their kids on their back and all that kind of strength training. I, I think the difference when we come back are the guys that use this this break in a creative way to work on their game, whether it's a virtual reality. Look, the goalies are a lot different because there's a lot of things they can do. I don't know if you saw the video with Bobrovsky out by his pool on his knees with his glove and his blocker, yeah. and he had, I think it was a tennis uh, machine that you would use to to volley tennis balls shooting at him. Some goalies are using a, a variation of a jugs machine to shoot pucks at them. Um, you know, Holpe does all kinds of mental things, and as does Hart. I think they share the same the same mental coach. So I, I think goalies with visualization have an opportunity to do a lot more during this downtime to work on the mental aspect of their game. I don't know that that translates as much to skaters, but I think when it comes to skaters, the ability to kind of use this time to refine their game and, and to work on things that they can work on that aren't skating related. And maybe some of it is mental. I think the goalies have always been ahead a little bit in, in skill training than the, than the shooters um, and, and the skaters. So, you know, I think there's coaches out there right now that are embracing this, uh, you know, skills coaches especially, and, and are trying to get the message out, you know, hey, here's something you can do. Here's some video you can watch. Um, but I think the players that are staying in that mindset and really gearing themselves up, even though there's no set date to come back better, um, 
I think that's going to show when the season starts again, and it may not be physical because everybody's going to be, be going to be in the same level behind um, with the inability to skate. But mentally, I, I think some guys may be sharper than others. Yeah, but I think you get you you touched on it right at the end there that inability to skate, and we talked about the rollerblading with Colby Armstrong too, and maybe that helps you know with your stride, and it may help just keep the you know the legs strong and whatnot. But that inability to skate right now, that's going to be the thing where the timing is. Uh, for these guys and how they get up to speed and how they get up to that game shape and how quickly they can do it, how how that skating aspect comes in. Mentally, they're trying to stay sharp. There's no question about it. But Tory Krug said it on a conference call with Boston Media yesterday where he said absolutely, or today I think it was, absolutely nothing simulates skating. No, and it, it can't. I mean, it's the most unique thing. Look, we, we've been lucky enough to go skating occasionally when they have the outdoor games. Um, and they have that media skate and the next day you're completely shot, right? Cause you don't do it every day and you're out of shape and whatever else, but your legs are just, even if you run a lot or, you know, you walk every day or whatever it is you do to stay in shape, you get on skates and everything hurts from your ankles all the way up to your hips. Um, and it's going to be the same for them with this long of a layoff. They're really going to have to work on getting back in shape, but they know how to do it and they know the right way to do it. And they know the fastest way to do it. So, um, again, I, I just think that mental ability to, to kind of stay in the moment now and not lose the focus that you, that you generally have is going to serve some players really well. Definitely agree with you there. So before we get out of here though, last thing, definitely wanted to send our best wishes to Oilers forward Colby Cave and his family. Colby Cave, if you haven't heard, is in a medically induced coma right now. He had surgery on Tuesday to remove a cyst that was causing pressure on his brain. Uh, the coma, according to his family, is allowing his brain to rest and heal. So we only send our most thoughtful wishes, prayers, everything we possibly could send to him that he's able to wake up from this and get back to some normalcy in his life. I know you agree with me on that. Oh, for sure. I, I can't imagine how upsetting and scary that would be at any time. And now with everything else that's going on and, and the work that's being done at all of our hospitals across North America and across the world, um, you know, it's a, it's a horrible time to have to do anything medically and, and something this serious. So, you know, best wishes for, for, for Colby, especially we enter a very religious weekend for, for anybody that kind of follows any of the major religions. So, you know, it's a perfect time to, to send prayers and thoughts to, to Colby and his wife and their family and, you know, get well soon. Absolutely, Sean. Well said, and that'll do it from us. So thanks a lot for listening and stay safe out there.